strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. Rock on. Here we are. My friend Varun, how are you? Back from your um, wild traveling of excursions and wilderness. I know, right? It was my first ever survival training. Uh, I just came back from Charleston uh, this weekend. And man, it was amazing. We saw wild alligators, some bald eagles. We, uh, we hiked, we kayaked through the ocean for three miles into an island. It was awesome, I mean, amazing experience. I mean, that was great. So we, we can talk about the whole thing in an episode someday, but <laughs> let's- We have a lot of side episodes. Right? <laughs> Sounds good. All right, I'm excited for today's guest. He has been the artistic compass guiding organizations through the mesmerizing world where art and technology meet. He has been leading multidisciplinary teams in the Bay Area, self-startup in the agency arm of We Communication. He has clients who include technology giants, medical startups, and music festivals, a little bit of diversity there. After chatting with him a bit, what sets him apart is unique design process, a blend of hand-drawn sketches and interactive prototypes, which we'll probably talk about. He's into comics, video games, as for those of you watching, you can see some critters behind him on screen. So um, I'd like to welcome our guest today, co-owner, partner, creative director at Cloud4, Tyler Sticka. Tyler, welcome Thank to the program. You. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Um, who's the dude behind you? Well, that is a robot from, I believe it was Shogun Warriors. Um, and then he's, there's a Godzilla next to him. Oh, and, I love Godzilla. Uh, yeah, I probably have more relationship with Godzilla, but the uh, the robot was a gift from a family member. And I just, I like robots too. So uh, so it's figure they, they go that. well together, although they're a little mismatched, I think. I think the robot is a little, has an unfair height advantage. On the Godzilla. I mean, they look like they're holding hands, so it's kind of like a do. nice pairing back there. I like but Godzilla needs a friend. He needs a buddy. Yeah, this is canon now. They are friends. I agree. There you go. Yeah. Good. All right. So let's dive in. What, with our myth busting question, what is some sort of bogus strategy, some sort of myth or misconception that you'd like to set the record straight on? What do you want to clear up? Yeah, I have this sort of <laughs> lifelong distrust of the. Uh, we tend to romanticize this idea of the Mad Men-esque big reveal. I don't know if it's just that designers like to feel like Santa Claus delivering presents on, on Christmas morning. I don't know if it's that folks are scared or, or feel defensive and protective of their process. But this idea of we we take in information all at once and then we go off and we do quote unquote magic privately um in our own little design cave and then come back and voila we've solved everything i think for every time that succeeds and folks exclaim how well it worked loudly there are probably dozens if not hundreds of times where the the ta-da moment is followed by crickets or silence or well that's not what we were expecting uh or or whatever 
And sometimes I think we have a tendency to put that on the audience a little bit and be like, well, they just don't get it. Now the job is to convince them. And I feel like it's better to spread that work out, be transparent, show, you know, show peaks behind the curtain along the way. Uh, take this as an opportunity to, to guide the customer, guide your client, guide your stakeholders through the process so they understand how to participate in it. And uh, I think that, that there are a lot of really selfish reasons that uh, folks are, uh, I guess a little bit hesitant to do that. And it's something that I've tried to push back on in my work um, pretty consistently and, and happily uh, at Cloud4, we, we don't do any of that. Our, our, our strategy is to try to overshare at first and let our stakeholders tell us when they're like, okay, we get it, that's enough. Um, and we encourage them to do that. Uh, and some, some of our stakeholders are like, this is great. I want to see how the sausage gets made. I love participating. And some are like, I get it. I trust you and you can tone it down. And either one of those to me is a positive outcome. Either one of those is more positive than crossing your fingers, hoping you heard and understood correctly. And then, you know, depending on which way the coin lands, you are either backpedaling furiously and try and and crunching to try to make up lost ground or you're uh you know or you get lucky and and i'm i'm not a fan of relying on luck i like to talk through this stuff work with them we're all humans we're all working toward the same goal so let's talk about it and let's figure out what compromises we both feel strongly about let's have the arguments early instead of waiting until we've invested so much into this solution and let's uh let's let's work out um how this is going to work so well even the buy-in from the client at that during that phase too you know again in the time of the uh everyone submit to an rfp and respond to the rfp and Ugh, picking people RFPs. from that perspective you know while some mm -hmm. of that stuff still exists it's like the transition between like even internally, like I, you made me think of a time where we were redoing a website. I was um, running marketing at an organization and everybody has an opinion when you're redoing a website, everybody. And so I just said, screw it. I printed all of the draft components, threw them up on a wall outside of my office, let everybody air their grievances as they walked by. So that way they feel like they could complain about it up front. Certainly. By the time we launched it, I didn't listen to half of them. Some of them were valid, but They've seen it. They know what's coming. They've been able to say their piece. They felt like they were involved. And then it, you know, went relatively smoothly from there. So, yeah. you know, I like the we joke about the peeling back the curtain. Yeah, so, for sure. And that's a good problem to have. You know, sometimes some organizations you have the opposite problems where where no one's everyone's so unsure that it can be tough to to pull the criticism out and in which case it really becomes an exercise in in empowering and enabling and 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 making folks feel like you are valuable your your insight is valuable your experience is valuable and we want to hear what you have to say and then in the other case like you described where everyone's got an opinion then on our end we'd probably go well time to do some Jared Spool style prioritization exercises, time to make real clear who the stakeholders are. So when there's a fork in the road, we know who's picking which direction to go. 
Um, so, so I see those thing. things as, yeah, those are, those are all inconvenient, but really important, uh, things to work out and, and that transparency helps, uh, expose them early and often. So, yeah. And I, I think one, one thing that I have experienced following that process and mindset is it helps us win that confidence and trust in the client. Mm -hmm. And for that, I think trust is the biggest factor in any long-term engagement. For yeah. us, right? It's not mm -hmm. about well, outcome and the quality and delivery and all of that is important, but people screw up, you know, people things can go bad, you know. You everybody's human, but if you want to establish that trust, I think having that transparency and you know, through the way of how you are going to achieve what you promised to achieve is super important. Absolutely. So, that, that really works well. Um, so how, what are, what are some of the methods that you use that allows you to, well, or to, to follow that process? Like how do you get into the uh, building that trust of the client in that manner? It's a great question. It's, it's a little different with every customer and every stakeholder because everyone has different goals and different objectives. And so I guess the most important part is just to try to understand who you're working with and, and where your goals align and where they might, they might deviate from one another. Um, and that can feel a little political at first, but I think you know my background is, is as a designer. So I tend to think of it as more about exposing those sort of hidden or unspoken requirements and, and figuring out the best way to harvest the knowledge and experience of the different stakeholders on a project. So I would want to talk to somebody about what are their how do they define success for this project? How what are their biggest fears? What are they worried about? You know, a lot of times when you work there's usually a decision maker who hires an agency like ours. That's not always the person you're working with. So it's so important uh, later to figure out. And I love, sometimes you'll find someone really candid and I love to hear early on, you know, if someone's like, yeah, I wanted to do this project. I've been talking about it for this many years, but for some reason, so-and-so decided to hire you. And I immediately think, that's great because this is a, this is, this person's annoyed right now, but they are going to be an ally like i am going to because ultimately we that this means we have the same goal and now i have someone with all the visibility and experience of someone at the customer on my side and nine times out of ten that's what happens the person who initially is grumbling and i've been there i've worked in-house i've been in the situation of advocating for change loudly and then one day finding out someone had hired a consultancy or an agency to do the thing i've been begging to do for months so i understand where they're coming from and and that brings me so much joy when i'm in a situation where i can not be that agency that i had had experience with before where again they take the thing into a black box they give it back and it sort of half solves the problem um and it, or it solves the problem in a very performative shallow way that demos well and will be replaced inside of a couple years uh and and instead being that person where it's like no I, i'm not doing this instead of you i am going to be the one that makes this happen with you for you and and that's uh 
that's really, um, really important. So once you sort of establish those relationships and everything, then it's all about figuring out a way to harvest those ideas and those thoughts and discovery. I'm a big fan of, of very organic, like quick sketching exercises, the sorts of things that if you have a Sharpie and some sticky notes and a webcam, you can, you can do this, you can participate. Um, that's still sometimes a tall order, but I really try to encourage people and go, this isn't an art contest, but we're just getting ideas out there. So let's have these conversations. And to me, it's actually by being transparent and sort of teaching the customer how to look at unfinished work as you go along. I think one of the things that's fun is you you can start to get away from a typical waterfall process too. So at Cloud4, our thing is that we don't like to waste effort on design artifacts and in, in, in maintaining design artifacts, I should say. Like we love design artifacts, like they're very helpful, but they're only so helpful as getting you to the next step. We are never so diluted to believe that, that anything but what ships to the end user is the source of truth because it's just not even even when we work on like design systems that that a lot of, a lot of times design systems the goal is this is the source of truth for our organization our experience um fact of the matter is only if it if it makes it to the end product you know all of this is just is is they're all tools in our tool belt and so um, organically along the way, figuring out, okay, based on what we've learned and everything, we think that this project needs mood boards and ele element collaging phase. And then, you know, sometimes we'll need like wireframes or a sitemap, but sometimes we're like, no, that part's clear. Content's already really worked out. Let's jump right into uh, in-browser prototyping or whatever it is. And that's kind of our big thing is we do a lot of designing in the browser directly because we uh, want to, a lot of industrial designers, they will they will get like machining tools and stuff in the, I guess not a lot, it's actually considered like a luxury. Like I know, I think I read like a Johnny Ive uh, profile where he was saying how people asked why they brought like aluminum machining tools into the design space. And he was like, you gotta know the material, you have to understand the materials you're working with. You have to know what a material can and cannot do. And that's how we feel about software. And uh, and so that's why we um, do a lot of design in the browser. But but yeah, so it's it sort of from there, like the shape it takes depends on the organization. Some organizations have a lot of approval steps. And in that case, you have to have more artifacts and a few more steps to make sure you're checking the boxes, make sure that you're getting the correct approvals. And then some, they're very game for let's just let's just go. And in that case, we can we can kind of just organically decide we're at the point now where the problems that we have yet to solve are best solved through this artifact. And uh and and let's go ahead and uh and make that happen. Anyway, I feel like I've I've I'm off the rails now on on the that question. So I'll pause there. No, I, I think this is good because I can continue follow up on. So you 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 shared about how you approach the design, and I correct me if I'm wrong. You position your company positions yourself as a full service design and dev shop. Is that mm. right? Uh, so yes, this, more or less. More or less. So what does that I, more or less mean? Yeah, I say more or less because we're almost a little bit more of a consultancy. A lot of times we're hired to sort of be the the lubrication that helps the gears move forward on using the the whatever the latest technology is or kind of or kind of 
crossing a technology gap. So for example, one of our favorite sorts of projects are like legacy app modernization types of projects. So a company has maybe had like a Java application or a, um, I don't know, sometimes you run across folks who are still using air applications and stuff like that too. Um, and maybe they've had this, this product for a decade. And so it's been a tough thing to move on from. Now they're realizing they can't delay it any longer. And they're looking at what platform can we use? And, and the web's attractive for all the reasons that the, you know, the Spotify's and the Microsoft Teams and all of those applications are web under the hood for the same reasons, which is it's the world so far, like one of the longest lived, most backwards compatible, uh, uh, you know, mediums to to do work in, but that can be a really scary hurdle because going from developing like native applications or something like that to the web, it can be tough to dig through all the cruft of Internet Explorer era web design and, and to find the modern techniques that can let you do the things that a lot of folks, I mean, let's be honest, most people's like understanding of what the web can and cannot do is frozen in, in 2012 and frozen in 2013. It's it's frankly kind of frozen in when React came out. That sort of became this, this marker where folks don't realize all of the amazing stuff you can do in the browser. And it can be tough to dig and find that too below the noise of whatever everyone else is doing. And so the reason companies hire us is a lot of times they, they not all the time, but they may have their own dev team already. They may have their own IT department and ops and backend developers and everything. And they may just be looking to, it's a time of transition. You know, when Walmart hired us, they had just done a big redesign that was desktop only. And now it's, you know, it's, they launch it and then there's that horrible deflating feeling of they launch it and then look around and everyone's talking about responsive design and, and they're seeing the mobile numbers hit some people trying to access their websites go up. And all of a sudden they're like, we have this amazing team. We've just put all this work in and now we've got to learn this whole new thing. We we cannot afford to do this wrong the first time. We have to do it right the first time. And so they, they went to us because they knew that we were kind of uh, a part of, a, of an industry-wide trend toward responsive design, towards mobile-first design. And, and we helped them cross that gap. And obviously Walmart doesn't, need in terms of personnel it doesn't need eight more people that's not going to move the needle for them like oh if only we could hire eight people like i'm pretty sure walmart could afford to hire eight more people it's that we're the people that are participating in the standards process are designing in the browser every day who know intimately what these uh this medium is capable of and can allow them to sort of leapfrog what they get from downloading the framework du jour or asking chat GPT to regurgitate back whatever folks have been doing for the past five, 10 years instead. So, yeah. I want to shift gears for a hot second and, and chat a little bit about collaboration. Cause I think we've, we've pulled back the curtain. We've talked about transparency and a little bit of your process. And specifically around it, you threw me, I was going to ask about AI, but I don't think I want to go there quite yet because I feel like that's a, that is an ever-changing field of stuff that we all want to talk about all the time. <laughs> um, you know, 
I know you guys, you, you talked a little bit about a couple of your customers specifically here. And how do you, when it comes to the collaboration process, not only internally, but with clients, can you talk a little bit about how you've done that? And then specifically, I want to move into your experience, you know, with larger teams like offshore. Um, sure. So, and how, how that works Because I know in our, our prep conversation, we talked quite a bit about, um, how you work with people, you know, in this global world that we live in, pulling back the curtain, how do people do it successfully? So we want to hear how you guys have done that. Yeah, sure. And especially because you, the way you described your positioning, right? You work, you are brought in at the point where they have a legacy app, they have their own internal dev team. So I'm imagining there yeah. is a lot of overlap between what your team is, you know, has been asked to do and you have to do that you have to work with the external teams, yes. right? With the company, with the teams of these people. So when you are um, managing per se on those projects or taking the ownership of helping them deliver success, how do you approach, um, you know, the project management and collaboration aspect of of the remote teams? Sure. I mean, the project management aspect of it. Uh, you know, my advice is to is to get a business partner as good at that as my uh, partner uh, Megan, who uh, uh, Megan Natarte, who's who's so much better at the coordination aspect of this sort of thing. Uh, I am so from the designer creative direction brain that she and I frequently I am like, hey, we let's let's talk, let's figure out our strategy here. And she is very good about, I think the thing that, that she and I are on the same page about a lot of the times is, is it's about prioritization. It can't just be about milestones and calendar. Milestones in the calendar are important, but it's about making sure that there's a shared understanding and ownership of what the priorities are, because inevitably you're going to find new information that's going to change what you thought the solution was going to be. And so in that world where you're dealing with finite resources, then it just becomes about prioritization. Um, but in terms of collaboration, it's really about, I mean, I think it's no secret to anyone who's done this for a while that a lot of design problems, a lot of development problems, a lot of project management problems are all just kind of different symptoms of communication problems in disguise. And oftentimes the the biggest thing is to figure out who's not talking that should be and what can we do to get them talking. So at Cloud4, we rather famously have a lot of developers that, uh, that I say famously, uh, uh, for folks who've worked with us, uh, uh, they, they learned that our, a lot of our developers started as designers and, and pivoted at some point in their careers. And a lot of our, all of our designers uh, will will have always, the minimum is that you have to be comfortable with HTML and CSS. And that helps us be the sort of folks that can talk to both the creative and the technical side, no matter what phase of the project there is. Um, a good example of where that really comes in handy is we're working on a project right now where there were some designs and prototypes that were, that were done with, with accessibility in mind. And there was something where there was an accessible shortcoming in one of the interfaces that none, no one caught during that phase. What's uh, wonderful is one of our developers uh, was implementing it and caught that. 
and we can stop and all get the designer together, get the get the team together and go, here's the problem. What do we want to do? We can get the client involved in that conversation and we can talk about it in the moment because everyone is invested in we're all working toward a user experience. We just have different strengths and focus areas. And we try to do as much of that as we can with the, the teams that hire us, uh, which can be really fun. It can be really fun to take a team where they work in different buildings, different floors, different locales, and encourage them like, hey, we want the engineering team to be in these design team meetings, and we want them to speak up when we are doing something that is going to make their lives significantly harder. Because if, if past a certain point, you know, there's there's certain things where they're difficult but important. And, and th in that case, it helps for them to have context. If they're going to need to work their butts off to execute on it, Gosh, I, I don't know about you. I'd sure love to know why that's important. And and on the other, on the flip side, it might be really unimportant. And if someone brings up, hey, this is going to be really difficult for reasons A, B, and C, that fine. That's not important. So let's simplify. Let's condense. And um, and then there just comes the different organizations. Sometimes that's not always possible to the degree that we don't expect every designer we we work with to, to roll up their sleeves and learn HTML and CSS. Uh, we don't expect every developer that's hired to sort of sort of help help overcome these log jams because we can be that sort of adaptive force. But what has been really rewarding though is I say that, but it it's happened pretty frequently that we will, you know, we'll work with customers again, they'll hire us again and everything. And when we come back, they end up incorporating some of our process into what they do, which isn't a requirement. It doesn't always happen, but it happens more often than I would expect it to. And that's in some ways, sometimes the most rewarding thing is to come back later and have them go, we really liked that and how that turned out. So we're going to try to do that. And it's like, oh. what's an example of that? While you're talking about it, can you give us a nugget or a tip? I know I'm putting you on the spot. A nugget like, or a tip? Yeah, yeah, with with that, what's something that you've noticed that a customer has snagged and included in their process that you guys do that you're like, oh, nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the things that's really interesting it, it companies is, is I mentioned that we do a lot of like prototyping in the browser. Mm -hmm. And it's so common that you'll have, you know, on a team, most of the designers going, okay, that's interesting, but I'm not really. But oftentimes there's one person or two people or or three people who are like, finally. And in some cases we've had folks confide in us, I've been kind of wanting to do this. I'm sick of maintaining, you know, one mock-up per breakpoint for 30 different interface designs for months and months and months. I just want to get in there and figure out what can and can't do. Or I just want to do something in the browser so I can just resize it and just have the one thing that resizes. And for whatever reason, there's there's pushback on that. Some Maybe maybe the pushback's internal. Maybe it's just a, a fear of doing things differently, or trying things differently. But sometimes there's literal pushback. We go in and we sort of make that less scary, or we show a process for how that can work. And uh, there's been a few teams where later on they have they have incorporated that sort of exploration in their process. And sometimes an individual can even become like they end up being the expert internally there on, you know, we really need a an interactive prototype for this. Let's go ahead and and beyond what we could get with, you know, a Figma prototype or an Envision prototype, like we 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 need to know, does this, 
to borrow a term from Frank Camaro, like, does this fit into the web's grain or are we working against the web's grain right now? And uh, so that's that's really great. But a really a much simpler example that happens a lot is developers and designers just talk to each other more. And I know that sounds so simple, but but oftentimes, you know, the the sort of throwing things over the wall, the waterfall approach, it can lead to to a lot of conflicts and a lot of adversarial relationships and just inviting everyone to the table. And sometimes folks accidentally discover that they actually have more in common than they they do um, different. And and later on, we'll find out we start, you know, we, we started having a meeting every other week to just talk about what's going on to make sure we we understand where everyone's at and and even just just bringing those teams closer together a little bit ends up you know everyone's happier the developers feel like they aren't just being you know having stuff kicked down to them the the they they don't feel like they're just being subjected to the designer's vision designers don't feel that frustration of seeing you know i think any designers had that experience where they've seen they they've created this beautiful crafted thing they can just picture in their mind how wonderful it's going to be to use and then the final product happens without much involvement from them and they just their faces fall and they're so disappointed at all of the compromises that were made without their their you know involvement and you know our work is compromised they're all compromises every everything everything anyone ships is a big old pile of compromise and if they if they tell you differently they're lying uh because because there's always a compromise no one's we could all spend our entire lives we could die of old age before we finish polishing these things if if, if there were no constraints at all and so um so i think that just that seeing teams enact processes really simple approachable like let's just make sure we're talking let's all the way up to um it's not as unique to cloud four but but when we've worked on design system projects seeing folks empowered to like okay here is the sandbox that we can play together in and and uh so sometimes it's a little bit more concrete you know establishing those things for them but uh but it's always so rewarding when we look back a year, two years. There's a customer we've been working with for off and on for um, eight years and is still using a lot of the processes that we um, we we shared with them. And, and that's just so darn rewarding. So uh, it, it sounds like the, the majority of your work is around consultation. So when it comes to consultation, working with the other teams, how do you ensure that the quality is maintained right i mean how do you set the set the bar for them and making sure the processes that you are you know suggesting are being followed and are maintained like it's right. one thing that you see them using it and it sounds rewarding but i don't know how many times out of 10 does that really happen how many times i'm sure there are times when you actually come across companies and organizations which have come back to you but have gone totally in different directions or may not have adopted, you know, things like the way you recommended in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is there some, some, you know, I think, I, I guess my question is how, how do you make sure that that is minimized? Yeah, I think that the important thing is that we are in the thick of it with them. So our strategy is we, 
you can learn a lot by just learning, by having someone teach you, but I think you learn a lot more working on problems together. We learn what the real problems are, not just what the stated problems are. And the customer gets to learn how these things work and how they function and how they come together, not in the abstract, but from literal, you know, they get to learn by doing. And so that's why we're a small team, but when we work on projects, we usually pick a project, like what's your challenge? We're going to work on this together. So we're going to be part of your team. You're going to be part of our team. We're on a team together working on this. We're not just, we do occasionally do consulting projects that are that are strict consulting, you know, where look at what we're doing and tell us what we should be doing differently. And and that's fine. We we appreciate that work and everything. And and it's sometimes hard to track how much of the uh recommendations were followed and how much weren't. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Uh, and uh, and that's great. But I think the most successful projects are the ones where where they want to they want to make a change, but they also need to deliver something. There is there is like a, a tangible artifact of that change. So for Walmart, I, I hate to keep using an example, but they um but they're such a good one because they they they've been so successful. But the uh the first project they had us work on was was their grocery site, which now is part of the main site, but at the time it was still new and they uh they wanted to make it responsive. And so that was a case where they had an internal team working on grocery. We had our team. And so we worked with them to make just that responsive. And then a lot of those techniques were able to be carried out on walmart.com proper and and uh, and different aspects of, of that, which is just, a, just kind of like a tip of the iceberg approach, I guess. We, we sort of help and show, you know, it's learning by doing. You get to see exactly how it gets made. Um, it's a mutually beneficial thing because we learn things along the way that we might, I think that if you are strictly consulting and you aren't doing the thing anymore, it can be tough to, it becomes difficult to make sure that your skill set is is not just academic, that you are, that it's informed by the real problems that people are struggling with and everything. And, uh, and yeah, did I answer your question somewhere in there? Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> think so. I, I want to shift gears again and um, talk a little bit about your career and how you how you got to where you are currently, Tyler. But I think your your career growth, we talked again quite a bit about this in terms of of your perspective on on why why you're in this leadership role and kind of your path to get there, because I think a lot of folks find themselves in a similar situation. So, sure. you know, in your drive for not entrepreneurship, which is <laughs> an interesting perspective. So, um, you know, I, my whole life, it's been the two pillars of interest for me have been art and technology. So, mm -hmm. um, is I've been drawing since I was two years old and I've been, uh, the first I learned how to program in, uh, my, my school district was at the time the lowest it was like written up in newspapers the lowest budget school district in the country and so uh but they had old computers and in some ways i think that was a blessing because i had a great um uh teacher named mr wong who uh he he noticed i had an interest in in this stuff and so he pointed me at this disused 
PC that had basic on it and handed me a basic tutorial and went, why don't you learn this? So that was like in fifth grade, sixth grade, I, I started, you know, programming little fortune tellers and text adventures, not knowing that that was like a decade um, late to doing that stuff, but it's a great intro. And from there, it was always, you know, I was always the kid who was drawing the cartoons in the newspaper and also making the websites for my friends' bands and stuff like that. Uh, and so I, I didn't know what I wanted to do because ideally the thing that I would be doing would use both of those things. Because whenever I just did one, it felt like there was a whole part of my brain that wasn't being stimulated. Uh, so um, I went to school in an early interactive media design program. I uh, happened to go to school at a time when uh, I was at a school where uh, the late great Will Vinton, founder of Claymation, was the artist in residence at one of the few schools with a web design program. So just got to take like every web design class and all these animation classes with these old heads uh, who had worked on um, for a lot of uh, Claymation and, and Disney stuff and things like that, which was a, a great, really weird coincidental time. Um, went straight out of that into some in-house, worked for like manufacturing companies doing their website, which I highly recommend to any students who graduate. I know it doesn't sound glamorous, but uh, those B2B companies are going to give you a lot more responsibility and they're going to pay you better and have better hours than uh, than than the um, the trendier agency that you and, and a thousand other young designers are trying to get into. I uh, got hired away to work briefly for a, a security uh, software company. And then I got hired uh, in my first like managerial role for um, an agency, which was an agency arm of We Communications. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore because I think it's tough for a PR company to run an agency arm that runs like a true agency arm. But it was a really exciting time. I got to work with some folks from Frog Design, and I got to work from folks who were former. Uh, got to do a lot of work with Microsoft and Honeywell and and uh, Sasquatch Music Festival, and and uh, a lot of diverse clients there. Um, left that briefly while I was there. I started designing games, iOS games. I had one that really took off, and. Uh, and not really took off. It took off for an early app store hit. It was uh, not, I don't have a mansion or anything like that, but it was featured by Apple. You know, it was weird to have like Dead Space was the feature and then and then my game Ramps was the feature. So that was exciting. And so for a time I pivoted into native app development. I worked for a stealth startup that uh, didn't end up succeeding, did not win the Silicon Valley lottery. Um, that's okay, most people don't. And uh, and after that, I had sort of in the Portland area been talking with Jason Grigsby and, and uh, he and I had spoken at a few of the same conferences. So we uh, we decided when I was I was seeing that that startup wasn't going to succeed. I uh, went and reentered agency life at a place that that had the flexibility to to allow me to adapt my style and not waste time on those design artifacts and everything. And eventually kind of just hit a point where, you know, I've never been seeking control or power in design. I don't, I'm not in and of itself, but what I do want is I do want say in the final product. I do want to, what really kind of gets me is when 
I ship something and I'm like, gosh, I know that could have been better if only there'd been the trust or if only we had done this process instead. And so I think at a certain point, you 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 eventually that's what that's what kind of drives folks like me into like a managerial role. Like you realize your ambitions aren't something a single person can really move. So now you've got a team of folks who are are executing on it and that's rewarding. But at a certain point, you then run up against leadership and everything. And so there was a point at which Jason and and folks were like offered uh, me and and Megan, who I mentioned earlier, a partnership and and wanted to wanted to know if we wanted to uh, try that. So for me, that was a new challenge, and it was a way to the buck stops here. Now I can put my money where my mouth is. I can uh, I can you know if if I've been if I felt a ceiling on the quality I can deliver as a designer before now who am I going to blame right I guess I could blame the client but that's a bad look that we wouldn't be doing this if not for the client so really it's a chance to prove to myself that uh that I'm not full of it and that I can uh that I can sort of deliver things that I'm proud of consistently and that that meets my standard and 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 I can pursue the process that I think is the right process that I've seen work for customers and everything and and make sure that we get out of our own way. And so that's been really uh, I know I've used the word rewarding a lot, but that's been that's been challenging in a lot of ways because I've had to learn how to be an entrepreneur and a business owner, which you'll notice that wasn't in my description. I said technology and design. I never said and entrepreneurship. That wasn't really, you know, I am not, I, I am not someone who was who is pursuing business for its own sake. And that is something that I definitely still consider myself a student of. But it's been very rewarding to be in a position where I can argue for for certain design processes and then realize who am I arguing with? Let's just let's just do it. And uh, and to see those rewards and to to measure them against the realities of what organizations are going through, it's both been a chance to exercise those muscles that I didn't have before, but also I understand now the constraints a little better that I was working with in between. I've I've I don't uh, abide by most of them. I think they're they're all solvable communication problems. But at the same time, I feel like oh okay, there are. I under those didn't happen in a vacuum. Those didn't happen because people are lazy or people are are not listening. There are a certain amount of factors, some political, some financial, some in terms of hiring predictability that that influence why these patterns or these obstacles recur so often. And that's been really, really helpful. And I don't think I'd be able to get that same exposure if I wasn't in a position of the buck stops here and and I'm responsible for the the output of of this company and this team. This is a lot of good insights. I feel like there's been a couple of good themes that we've covered in our chat today around transparency and communication, which seems to be the theme actually of this season in particular. It's uh it's nice that we're all consistent at least. Um yes. so we've got one last question for you in our chat today. What um what's exciting you about the future? What are you looking forward to outside of Turkey? Yeah, for sure. Uh, happy We're recording this right around Thanksgiving for those of you watching out yeah. of order. For <laughs> those listening or watching, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> so, gosh, it's hard to to pick one thing in particular um, because I'll be honest, there are some obstacles right now. There are some obstacles in our path. So there, 
we're at this interesting turning point with the web in particular, where for the last 10 years, there has been this emphasis on frameworks, um, React being by far the most prevalent, but, but all frameworks have been sort of dominating. And we are starting to realize now in a world where Internet Explorer isn't really an ongoing concern where all of the most popular browsers are evergreen, meaning they're updating consistently, where we're seeing the direct connection between performance and dollars uh, uh, that, that maybe folks have bet on the wrong horse. And the reaction to that in some ways is, is some folks can react to that by digging their heels in and trying to... to twist something to to sort of meet a goal it wasn't intended for or folks can say all right let's steer the ship the right direction whether it's two degrees this way or two degrees that way or um or whatever obviously if you've listened to this podcast you know what side i fall on my whole job is to help folks pick whatever the most modern unique interesting uh and and performance and reliable techniques are i'm gonna so i'm biased i want the i want the the new thing i want folks to move forward and 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 evolve the web and so i guess i, I there's some nervousness there because that might not happen we might end up in 10 more years you know, still contending with with the the baggage of an older web, which is uh, which I hope isn't the case. Um, I think that there's a lot of potential in things like AI. I think there's a lot of danger in things like AI. Um, so all I'll say is that I'm excited to continue to work on projects that can um, uh, make use of the light side of the force and be making decisions based on what's best for the user. And so the things I'm excited about are things like um, view transitions in browsers that will encourage folks to, to uh, uh, make experiences with animation more simply that do not rely on as much weight that is going to bog down different devices. I'm excited for the additional exposure that accessibility concerns have been getting and which because accessibility is just usability. Everyone deserves to be able to access all these different experiences that we're creating. And even though we have so much work to do, uh, it's 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 wonderful. A win for accessibility is a win for design in general. And so I love the visibility that's been getting. And I guess, I guess if I had to summarize, I'd say I'm excited for the opportunity to do the right thing in those regards, to make the best use of, of these browser capabilities, to, um, to, to, make, to design the best, most accessible experiences as I can, and to use these sort of trends to inform and, and let folks know, like, we have so much work to do when it comes to the web. Anytime folks say like, oh, web design's a small uh, a solved problem, I think, have you used websites lately? Have you, are you using the same internet as me? I mean, let's be real here. Nine times out of 10, you navigate to a URL and it is a litany of, of intrusive pop-ups and permission requests and this analytics thing and you get this live chat widget that's floating here on the side and you have this accessibility overlay that actually made things less accessible somehow and you have all of this crap and cruft and and there's this 
the opportunity to, with all of these new tools that browsers have shipped, with all of these new capabilities, with all of this new knowledge we have about, about accessibility and what the requirements are there and this visibility, there is this opportunity to, you know, when you work on a web project, you shouldn't be thinking like, oh, this again. You should be thinking like, no, we still haven't gotten this right. There is still so much to do. And every project is exciting because it's an opportunity to, the bar is so low right now that there is so much opportunity to just smash through it and deliver stuff. Every project, there's at least one thing we're doing where folks are like, I didn't even know you could do that. And I'm thinking like, not only could you do that, you could have done that for the last five years, but we're all just drowning in our heavy frameworks and our third-party scripts and our pop-ups stuff like that. So there's so much opportunity here to anyone listening. Like the, the easiest way to leapfrog your competitors is to just, just push aside the cruft, pick one thing. It doesn't have to be your whole thing. Just one part of your experience, try that you can safely push aside the cruft, educate yourself on what browsers are capable of today and make some 2023, 2024 decisions instead of 2013 decisions. And that just sky's the limit right now for what we can accomplish. Epic, I think, epic opportunities available. So this Absolutely. has been a great chat. So thank you so much for joining us today, Tyler. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate and Varun, it. As always. <laughs> so for, for folks listening or watching where you can find Tyler, he's on the LinkedIn or you can go to cloud4.com and all of the all of the additional references um, to find him online are there. So that's it, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, please tell somebody about the podcast. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies.build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.